Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who, went to settle, who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. May God bless our understanding the reading of this, his holy word. Amen. Well, I'm afraid that I have to begin this service, uh, this sermon, in a uh, rather uncomfortable way this morning, and uh, I'm going to use some raw language. Um, I'm going to use a word that probably makes our ears cringe, uh, so I, I warn you up front. Uh, it's the F word. Forgiveness. Were you a little nervous? It was C.S. Lewis who said, everyone loves the word forgiveness until they have something to forgive. We all want forgiveness. We want it from God. We want it from other people. We want to be told, hey, no problem with you. Everything's good. You're good. I got nothing against you, and we're at peace with everybody and everything. But isn't it a lot harder to give that forgiveness to other people when someone has wronged us, the forgiveness we want? When someone forgives you, they're, and you're told, you know what, you need to forgive that person. Does forgiveness ring like music in your ears then when you're mad, when you're hot, when you're offended? When Jesus tells this parable, he has been talking about relationships in the community of those that belong to, the, to Jesus and, and how relationships get worked out in that community. And one of his disciples, Peter, asks him, well, Lord, how many times do I have to forgive that other person? Seven times? Would that be a reasonable amount? And, you know, when we forgive somebody and then it happens again, and we forgive somebody, and it happens again, 
and we forgive them, and it happens again, how long do we keep forgiving? Well, Jesus answers, don't, don't forgive the person just seven times, but 77 times. And actually, that phrase can be, actually be translated, and it reads this way in some Bibles, seven times 70, which is 490 if you're doing the math. But Jesus is not saying that forgiveness is about arithmetic. He is saying it's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of a heart that knows how it has been treated by God and is overflowing with the mercy that God shows so that it can show it to others. In the Bible, the number seven is a symbolic way, often, of saying the perfect amount. But there's more significance to the numbers 7 and 77. Way back in the book of Genesis, we read about a man named Lamech. Lamech was the son of Cain. Maybe you remember Cain and Abel, these two brothers, and Cain kills his brother Abel. Lamech is Cain's son. Lamech is wounded by a man and ends up killing him. And Lamech says this, If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech is avenged 77 times. And so in using that number 77, Jesus is picking up that event and speaking of the spirit of revenge that Lamech felt. The problem of revenge is this. The problem of revenge is that it's rooted in anger. And we all get angry about things. And many times with good reason. But if anger is not dealt with, it will eat away at us and it will make us angry, bitter, vengeful people. And we will become unloving and we'll become ungracious and we'll become miserable. There's no freedom in revenge. And so Jesus takes that number of Lamech, 77, and he counters the spirit of revenge by showing a different way, the way of the kingdom, the way of Jesus, the way of forgiveness, saying we must forgive as much as Lamech wanted revenge. The parable is about a king who wants to square accounts with uh, various servants who owe him. And one man is brought into him who owes him 10,000 talents. Now, how much is 10,000 talents? Well, Herod the Great, who had a great agent and had a good contract, he, he received 900 talents a year. That was his pay. So 10,000 talents, is, is, it's like millions and millions and millions of dollars. It is a ridiculous amount. And nobody in those days could pay it in a lifetime. This servant is over his head. He is in it. His life is over. And the king orders that his wife and his children and him be sold into slavery. The poor guy throws himself at the feet of the king and he begs the king, give me a chance to pay it back. Just give me the chance. And the king has mercy and compassion on him. And he goes beyond what the servant asks for. He doesn't give him the chance to repay the debt. He Cancels the debt. The servant is off. He's, he's scot-free. He's totally off the hook. He's forgiven. He's forgiven of an amount he could never repay in his wildest dreams. He receives beyond what he even asked. But when he leaves and finds someone who owes him a hundred denarii, which in Bible money is like, hundred bucks. 
And the person who owes him begs him in the same way that he had done before the king. This guy refuses to forgive him. He refuses to show the same forgiveness that was shown to him for a much, much lesser amount. Well, the king hears it, and he calls this man back, and he points out that he forgave this guy's debt when he begged for mercy, and should he not have shown the same mercy and the same forgiveness to this man who owed him ridiculously less? And so the king has him thrown into prison until he can pay back the entire debt, which doesn't sound good. That's the parable. But here is Jesus' application and the point of the parable when he ends like this. He says, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. Here's the first truth of the parable. We are in debt to God above anything we can imagine. We are the first servant who owes 10,000 talents. Yes, we are. And our sin is more than we can bear, and it will drag us away from God and all the way to hell. And we can't do enough good things to make up for that. We don't have what it takes to pay our debt. Dale Bruner, you know he's uh, one of my Bible interpretive homeboys. I love him. He said this. He said, the revival of a knowledge of the free mercy of God for which the whole church longs will not occur without a simultaneous revival of the knowledge of the judgment of God. We are under God's judgment and debt. Forgiveness means unless there is a real, forgiveness doesn't mean anything unless there's a real offense to forgive. But here's the second truth. God in his mercy doesn't ask us to repay that debt. But out of his great mercy, he cancels that debt. And that happened when his son, Jesus, took all our sin and all our debt and all our failures upon himself on the cross. And everyone who believes that gets a debt-canceled stamp on their personal record and has peace with God. We are forgiven. All of it. Now, the first servant got more than he even asked for. He didn't ask for forgiveness of the debt. He asked for the chance to pay it off. But the king, like that father who welcomes back the younger son from the wayward country with open arms, the king will not, God will not let us work off the debt because relationship with God is not a matter of something you work for. It comes by the gracious compassion of a loving father. The forgiveness of sins is good news, and we often, we just want to stop right there and say, glory to God. Great parable. But there's more. With forgiveness from God comes this. With forgiveness of God comes the responsibility to forgive. And this is the subversive edge of this parable that Jesus teaches. It isn't just about what you and I can get and we do get from God. It's about what you and I must also give. The problem with the first servant was that he was unwilling to give to another what he had freely received, even though what was owed to him paled in comparison to what he'd been forgiven. And isn't that the way it is? We are so much more aware of the wrongs done to us and the people that are doing it to us than we are 
of the wrongs we may be doing to other people or the wrongs we may be doing to God. The crux of this parable, I think, is that the grace we have been shown should make us more gracious towards others. John Chrysostom, the premier preacher of the 4th century, I mean, everybody was downloading his sermons on their iPods. He said, a person who considers his or her own sins is going to be more indulgent to that other person, to your fellow servant. Shouldn't we remember, shouldn't we remember how God deals with us in our rebellion? What, you, you, you don't think your offense to God is as great as that person's offense to you? We need to appreciate the cross and the price paid for our sins. Remember this parable is being told by someone who wants to prevent judgment and separation from God and who took all the deepest deserved judgment upon himself on the cross and he loves us and is telling the whole world that God loves them. Mercy should breed mercy in our lives. Forgiveness should breed forgiveness. And God has a problem with those who receive forgiveness and will not show it. You know forgiveness is big on the radar of Jesus. It is big in the kingdom of God and on God's radar. Consider that Jesus taught his disciples to pray this, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then he ends, after that Lord's Prayer, he ends with this. Now, if you are there praying and you have anything against anyone, if you forgive them, you'll be forgiven. But if you do not forgive people, my Father in heaven is not going to forgive you. Consider that Jesus said this, when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive so that your Father in heaven may also forgive your sins. Consider that after rising from the dead and after showing himself to his disciples, Jesus said, this is the message you've got to give to people. Number one, repent, but number two, the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins was just at the very heart of the message of the gospel. Consider what Paul wrote when he said, bear with one another. And forgive whatever grievances you may have against another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Consider Jesus on the cross praying this as he dies a torturous death. Father, forgive them. The whole point of God's coming in Christ was to make forgiveness possible, was to model forgiveness for us, and was to make it real. Forgiveness is the way of Jesus. Wherever forgiveness happens, that is where the kingdom of God is happening. And I have not, for the life of me, been able to find a loophole or something in the fine print that tells me I don't have to forgive. I can't find it. Unless I forgive the person who offended me from my heart, my Father will not forgive me. Key phrase, from the heart. That's what Jesus says there. Look it up. From the heart your heart because forgiveness is really heart work heart work it, it doesn't happen up here so much as right here no one ever said forgiveness is easy it isn't it is especially hard if you've suffered something just horrific if you've been abused or maybe someone you loved was murdered or maybe someone you loved took their own life or maybe you were betrayed or any number of things that are really, really, really hard. It'll take time, maybe lots of time. 
It will take prayer. It will take counsel. It will take friends. It will take support. It will take a deep encounter with Jesus. And it doesn't mean the hurt isn't real, and it doesn't mean the hurt will necessarily go away, nor does it mean we will forget. But you know, Jesus' parable is really focused on those who are owed just a few dollars by others. When that offense is that more ordinary, everyday type of stuff. Because you know what? There are angry words said, or there are actions that hurt us, or there are things that disappoint us. And if we hold a grudge, or we hold a resentment, that doesn't hold up in the eyes of our Father. It does not mean that we get to enjoy God's mercy and forgiveness of us, but we withhold it from others. Forgiveness doesn't mean all the memories and the hurt are gone, but it does mean that we don't wish any hurt to come upon that person anymore. Unless the gospel, unless the knowledge of what Jesus has done for us on the cross transforms our inner selves, that deepest part of us, it hits our hearts, we're going to act just like that first servant. And we will not show mercy to those who hurt us. James wrote in his letter, judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who is without mercy. You know, the price for our failure and our sins was paid. And the thing about this is that God gives us forgiveness so that we can freely and fully give it to other people. That's what the king wanted that servant to do, that he forgave. It's ours to give and to show to others. Boy, that first servant had something to give that he could have extended to one who was in debt to him. Christians should specialize in this. Forgiveness should be the radical mark of the church. There are so many things that that the church does not have that this world has. There are so many things that the church cannot do that the world can do. But... We have been given something. We are the one entity that can forgive sins. We have been given that gift, the forgiveness of sins. You know, doctors, therapists, prescriptions, the Dalai Lama, uh, the educational system, wherever we go to get better, does not have the forgiveness of sins. And how, how many of your issues have to do with forgiveness? How many of the issues in this world have to do with forgiveness? Jesus has given us that to give to others, the forgiveness of sins. Maybe that's why when God came, he made such a mega big deal about it. Maybe the whole reason churches exist is just to tell people about God's mercy and forgiveness and model it for this world. I mean, if we don't, who will? Rotary Club? Forgiveness is the hallmark of Christian communities. And that's why it's so backward, so un-Jesus-like. To storm out of a church in anger and resentment. You know, it happens all the time for the smallest stuff. Someone says, I don't like this person, I don't like what happened, and then they leave with their resentment and their self-righteousness intact. Oh man, there are real wrongs and hurts that happen in churches. I've been leading churches, I've been living in churches for a long time. I have had to forgive and I have had to be forgiven. But what about the forgiveness given to us that is us to give, ours to give in Jesus? If we haven't learned about grace and mercy and forgiveness, and if these are not working traits in our lives, maybe, maybe we're not Christians yet. 
Because as Jesus makes tremendously clear with this parable, being right with God is a lot more than just having your debt forgiven. There was an article some years back in a magazine called The Christian Century called New Math. And um, it said that all our psychologizing about sin and guilt and shame over the past 100 years has really messed us up on forgiveness. You say you forgive someone, but you keep in your heart a bill of particulars ready to be whipped out at the next infraction. This is not forgiveness from the heart. And the church has quit talking about sin and forgiveness, and it plays at community without getting to the depths of the heart where forgiveness must start. Now, I learned this writer, this person who wrote this article, comes from the Lutheran tradition of the Christian church. And if you know anything, any, any, any uh, de-Lutheranized people in here, if you know anything about our Lutheran brothers and sisters, they have communion. They have the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, every Sunday. I am a huge advocate of that. If you would let me, I'd do it every Sunday too. Because I need Jesus. And communion is Jesus. Um, if, it's, if it's about salvation and grace and the cross and, and the remembrance of, the, of, of, of all that I need in Christ, I need that every week. Some people say, well, then it wouldn't be special. I don't need special. I need Jesus. And when, what are we saying about ourselves if we ever come to a time and say the grace, the love, the mercy, the cross of God is not special? I'd do it every day if I could. So I hand it to our Lutheran brothers and sisters for doing this every week. But the, but the point is this. The writer talks about how people, when they would come to the Lord's table in that, in that Lutheran church she was a part of, and they knew they were harboring sinful thoughts and resentments against their brothers and sisters, it just, it just shook them up. They were so worried as they came to that table that they were not repentant enough. People really believed something dangerous was happening at the communion table, that God was present, that the Holy Spirit was moving, and how one stood with God in that moment was just ultimate. And that no one dare take the bread or the cup unless they have made amends with their brothers or their sisters. Tonight, we're going to take communion at the Mount. I'm, I'm giving this message tonight, by the way. And, and we're going to take communion. And one of the things we're going to do before people come to the table, we're going to give people an opportunity to go just briefly tell someone else, talk to someone else, some designated people, if they need to forgive somebody. They don't have to say why. They don't have to go into details. Just say, I need to forgive this person. This article goes on to say this. It says, this is strange language to us. We have mainlined grace so cheaply that we no longer understand the disconnect in our spiritual lives. We have begun to justify sins instead of sinners. We insist on superficial forgiveness and judge people who are judgmental and unforgiving. The Lord's Supper has degenerated. It cannot be a rite of community without true forgiveness. We should not be taking the cup until we have made things right with our neighbors. That first servant, he mainlined cheap grace. He mainlined it. And the king says to him, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Go ahead, take out that 
part, your fellow servant, and just put in there the name of the person you need to forgive. Whoever's offended you, whoever you're resentful towards, your ex, that jerk at the office, the person who has made life really hard for you. You received the mercy and the forgiveness. Give it to others. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you gave your all on the cross for our sorry, often ugly lives. First of all, we just can't thank you enough for that kind of mercy and forgiveness. And we stand, every one of us, underneath the cross this morning. Would you help us to show that same gift that we have received and help us to show it to others? And this is all we can pray uh, because this is such a huge prayer for us that it's probably just enough to pray right now. It's in your precious name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.